Hello, and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish for maintenance and mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and I'm in studio with two of my best buddies today. Ron Huntley, it's good to see you, man. Thank you. And Father James Mallon, it's always a pleasure when we get you in studio. It's good to be here, Dan. Oh, well, so there's been a lot going on lately, and part of the reason I'm so excited to have you, Father James, is because you've been doing a little bit of travel lately. So tell us a little bit where you've been and what you've been up to. Well, most recently, I was in... I went to Australia. Actually, I was going to New Zealand. I was, was doing a, a national priest conference in, in New Zealand. So on the way, I figured I'd stop by in Melbourne, Australia first because, you know, in Canada, you look at the map and it's like... <laughs> They're right next to each other. New Zealand, Australia, <laughs> like, it's like a half-hour flight or something, you know? So I arranged to do it. Then I found out it was a three-and-a-half-hour flight. Ooh, really? A little, a little <laughs> further away than I thought. But we've got really great people in Melbourne. It seems to be kind of a hub for... Uh, support for divine renovation. And so we were able to have uh, some great meetings with some key people and just some, spend some time together and get updates as to what's going on there. Including and then, the new bishop. Including eh? the new bishop. I had yeah. a chance to meet uh, Archbishop Peter Comensoli, uh, the new Archbishop of, of Melbourne, and a remarkable man. Uh, and he's got a real vision for renewal for his diocese. So that, that, that was great. Then Monday morning, I, I flew across the, uh, I think it's called the Tasmanian Sea. Is it? I hope it is. Please forgive me if it's not. <laughs> and I landed and I was in, uh, in Kiwi world and I was there seven and a half years ago. I did some talks and, and speaking in, in New Zealand. So this was my second time, but I landed in Christchurch and this was very unique because in the entire country, they only have six dioceses. Uh, I almost have in the whole country. Just yeah. Six. I almost have, always have trouble saying the diocese, of dioceses, you know, yeah. uh, anyway, six dioceses, and so, <laughs> I'm not sure we got that basically, right. Basically, <laughs> I think we had almost every active parish priest in the country there. Almost wow. everyone. No, there were some religious order priests, maybe some retired priests who were not there, but pretty much almost every active diocesan priest in the country, including all the bishops in one cardinal. So it was like, they even get so together. It was, so was 200 guys. Now they get together. They do this once every four years. Wow. They started doing it um, in, in the past. And I really, I was saying to them, yeah, you guys are so blessed to be small in that way and to be yes. contained mm. on, uh, on an island. Like as we go forward, really, I really encourage them to do it more often, like maybe once every two years, but they're, they're working on that. But it was a remarkable experience. And I have to say in all the groups of clergy that I've, that I've spoken to, uh, number one, they face very similar challenges to what I see all over the world. They're facing the same thing. You know, we're in a post-Christendom world and we're still relying on, on, on Christendom model of church and of, of, of priesthood. New Zealand, they, their claim to fame, they claim to be the most secular nation on earth. Congratulations. Congratulations. Because oh, wow. yeah, I believe uh, something like 36 or 44 percent, I'm not sure, I think, I'm not sure which one, claim to be, have no religion at all. Oh, wow. Which is quite remarkable uh, if you think about you know, other Western countries and, and how secularized they are. They are pretty secular. However, the church is probably honestly in a better shape than where it is in most places in Canada. So they've got, a, they're, they've still got a lot of resources and the, but they're definitely on decline. One priest said to me, you know, he said, um, we're, we're not in his, we're, in terms of this curve that I usually talk about of, yes. of decline. He said, we're not as far down the curve as you are. We're definitely on the curve, but not as far down. And I was thinking, okay, but if you're on the curve, if you don't change what you're doing, you're going <laughs> to yeah, yeah, actually yeah, do The curve's still are. going down. You're still right? on the slide. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I have to say that of, of many of the groups of priests that I speak with, there was, I really connected with these guys. Like there was a very kind of down to earth attitude, a mm. real openness. Like they were, they were incredibly open and excited about the message that, that, that we brought. So Here's hoping. Uh, th th thanks to everyone in in New Zealand who who, who helped and who who came. If 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 you're if, if you're watching, and it was great to also appreciate a bit more of the differences between uh, New Zealand culture and Australian culture. Because of us, for us, kind of ignorant North Americans, you guys are kind of like all the same, you know. But I found out that's not true. That's not true. In fact, I made a joke about that. Uh, and I got like there were booze. Like I, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> it's actually might even you know we like. I mean we love our U.S. neighbors. We we really do. But we always 
oh, there's a bit of thing, well, well, we're Canadian. It's it's even more the case there. There's a strong sense of, no, we're we're not Australians. We are from New Zealand. And <laughs> awesome. it's a unique place, a beautiful island, beautiful country. Mm. Uh, one of the afternoons, I had two hours off. I went with a couple of priests and we and we climbed this hill and it was uh, it was spectacular. So um, here's here's hoping of that the cause of renewal in New Zealand may, may move forward. But it was a wonderful trip and a great chance to just minister in, to these guys and be with them. I love the sound of the spirit of it that you had, that, that the priests were all together, that they, it seems like, because I know it's not always this way. It's not always that you've got, you, you, the response is so so open and so um, congenial. And so it, it's, it's heartening to hear that that many guys. There's a, that whole a sense of between the, even some of the older retired guys and some of the younger priests as well. Usually uh, groups of priests tend to be sometimes a lot more divided and mm, these guys yeah. were not. And one of my first impressions was, meeting the bishops, like the bishops there, they're very down to earth guys, like completely down to earth. And that was, that was very healthy. That was very good, very mm. encouraging. So we're in the middle of, of ministry season or the launch of ministry season. I know if, uh, at St. Benedict Parish, it's been busy. I was talking to Father Simon just the other day and, and their senior leadership team, they've got all those things going on, but it got me thinking a little bit about how do these ministries come together? So like, you know, when, when, when all the ministries and all the, act, all the things that are happening at a church like St. Benedict, how do some of those things get started? What, what does that look like, Ron? Mm. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people, like a lot of ministries already exist. Like, mm. You know, I think about when, when we came to St. Benedict Parish, there was a lot of of a lot of uh, ministries already going. And, and one of our underlying principles has always been bring people to Christ, like bring mm. them to Christ, have them filled with the Holy Spirit so that they develop an ear for the Holy Spirit. I want them to hear God's voice, not my voice, not Father James' voice. I want to hear them hear God's voice. And so our main drive, our hearts, our heart of hearts is to bring people into a transformational encounter with Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just once, but ongoing filling with the Holy Spirit so that they can begin to develop a, an intimate prayer life so they can hear God, hear God's voice. And when that happens, oftentimes God puts something on people's hearts and, and it might hmm. be to join something. It might be to start something, but it comes, it's, it's propelled by the Holy Spirit. And this just the other day, for example, we had a, a friend of ours who was called into the prison ministry a few years ago after doing Alpha. And it was it was out of nowhere. They had no experience being in prisons at all. They didn't know anybody in prison. They just felt the call to prison ministry, and so they shared it with us. So, and we just prayed with them, blessed them, and and encouraged them, and and off they went. They took a team of people in and from supported them too. It, you know, oh, of course, out. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd go through training and everything. Yeah. It was awesome, <laughs> and then help them with all kinds of components. But but they were driving it, and and they were doing it in communion with the leadership of the church. It was so beautiful. But just the other day. Uh, Jivan was in again and just sharing a bigger vision, one that actually mm. covers the whole province and the possibility of partnering with other church communities and equipping them. And and it's it was scary because it, it exceeded his capacity mm. and his resources, and it wouldn't go away. Mm. Amen. It wouldn't Here, go away. Here's to away. visions that exceed our capacity and resources because if, if they don't, we don't need faith. Amen. So it was so funny. I mean, it is scary, but but that's that's the kind of vision we need to dream. You know, Ron, I, I really love that because sometimes people look at when we propose this model that is divine renovation and people legitimately ask the question, well, where does, if your focus is, uh, is on making missionary disciples, where does social justice right. and other ministries mm, fit yep. into this? Feeding the poor and yeah. And, and the, the point is that, that the, the traditional model in parishes was that Basically, a very small percentage of people in a parish, maybe two to three percent, think up ideas for ministries and establish them, launch them, and, and then notify everyone else, okay, we're doing this uh, because we perceive a need for this. Okay, and we need 20 volunteers. Who's going to do it? All right, you? Okay, come on, come on. Don't, don't you care for the poor? Uh, and we kind of press gang people to, to, to take the positions in ministry. And then if the ministry begins to fail because... People, it's not so much coming from, from within. And then we we struggled. We put a lot of resources into holding up that ministry because we need to do ministry to the poor so it can't fail. Whereas the model of divine renovation is really flipping that over and saying, let's get people turned on and help them to hear and listen and discern God's mm-hmm. calling and help, and then discern with them and support them. Uh, and, and and some people will feel called to do this and to do that and to do this this 
this over here. And I think that's just, in the long term, a much more healthy and better way to do it. It's more exciting because then we're watching God move through people and do amazing things. And it's not because we told them what to do. No. <laughs> it's because God called them into something amazing and we help support them, teach them skills like how to recruit and how to build teams and how to work out of a team, all these leadership principles that we're trying to live out within the church ourselves and equipping people to do the very thing God's calling them to do. You know, even as pastor, when I was pastor at St. Benedict Parish, with people who felt, who experienced this kind of calling, they actually were the least amount of work. Yeah, Yes, we we so checked true. in with them. We Maybe once a year I went to visit in the in in the prison. We we supported them, but compared to other ministries that would make demands on the leadership of of the parish and the resources of the parish, they were almost uh, self sufficient. It's incredible. It's like you know set set them up and you know be in communication with them and just watch them go. Well, that's the difference too, isn't it, between delegating tasks and delegating authority? You know, when when you're trying to prop up a ministry that's dying and that nobody wants to be a part of, and there's lots of them then you're giving somebody the tasks and saying, don't let it fall. I'm giving you the baton. It's your responsibility. And they take it. But man, that comes with a lot of pressure, a lot of guilt. And then you have to pass that on to other people in order to bring them in. It's not coming from a a passion and a call either. And when that's in place, it's a different thing altogether. Hmm. So guys, we just uh, got to spend a bunch of time together. And I, I want to talk about it ever so briefly because that's one of the things we do struggle with as, as a team is, is, you know, the three of us particularly because of travel and, and commitments, um, we, we find it hard to spend time together. But we, we spent like a, a day, like a full day and a night and another day uh, mm-hmm. as a team together. And, and so, you know, short, I think we had some fun. It was good. Yes. Uh, we also did a ton of work and had a ton of conversations around things related to the ministry. But let me get some of your reflections. Did you feel like it was important? Is it time well spent? Well, I thought it was really fun too, because our, our friend Chris Sadler, who really uh, works on behalf of Alpha Global, he has a wealth of experience in life in general, both in the church and in the business world. And he's able to come alongside of us and help us have these conversations kind of as a mentor almost. And Mm. sometimes it's great to have that third party speaking into you, encouraging you, asking you difficult questions. And it kind of facilitates some of the conversations that we wish we had time to have. And so I think it is important. In fact, I've experienced that in coaching, you know, being that person who's arm's length, that third party, you're able to help facilitate those discussions that people should probably have but probably won't because of the busyness. And so how that's one of the things I've been struggling with the last couple of months. I've really missed it because of summer vacations and because of travel schedules. I was away so so much and Ron, you were in Australia and, and it's almost like we, we've been violating one of our, one of our first principles, one of our first things. And that is the need for, for the leadership to be together, to spend time together, to, to have conversations and, and when you start missing those, it really does start to, to the foundation begins to shake. And, and so just getting away and, and yeah, we had a lot of strategic conversations really on the, on the way up. Actually, we went to play golf. Uh, <laughs> was a really nice golf course. <laughs> but on the way up, we had a, a three hour drive on the way up and we had supper together. And, and then the next morning we, we played and, and then the way back. So there was a lot of uh, moments to, to, to have really, key conversations and to get Chris's input and, but just to, to be together yeah. and, and yeah. remember wow. first and foremost that we're to enforce our friendship Amen. and yeah. our relationship because the most healthy organizations are, are, they're not just people who work together, they're friends who work together. So if, if I'm, if I'm a pastor or on a leadership team and I'm feeling the, how, how we were feeling, cause I, I know all three of us were feeling this sort of a detachment, like whether, what, what would be your advice to them, Ron? Well, if you're feeling it, make the time. You have to, there's never going to be time. You have to make the time and and to really square it away. Because, you know, I've been speaking this week into the churches I've been coaching. Sometimes we use the analogy, Father James, you started as vision is the sign on the bus. And so I took that a step further and said, well, then there's some four pillars or four tires on the bus. And sometimes they get wobbly. And, And pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to how you're feeling and speak into it. And, and you really, that's why regular meetings are so important with your key people. And so if you've slipped from that principle because of busyness, don't let busyness rob you from living the principles you need to live. Recommit. It's kind of like the gym. We all know we should exercise. We go for bits and spurts and we fall off again. Don't stop picking yourself back up and getting back into the gym. And I would say the same thing is true with respect to meeting with your core leaders Mm -hmm. regularly. 
If it's fallen off because of vacations or travel or anything else, that's okay. You're probably feeling it emotionally. Pay attention to it yeah. and recommit with your team to making, to putting first things first. And so don't discourage, but get back to those principles because if you don't, you will feel those wheels will fall right off the bus. So we went from from not spending a lot of together, time together to about to be spending even more time together because we're right. about to all hop on a plane uh, and we're, we're heading off to to an event. Why don't you speak a little bit about that, Father James? Yes, yeah, so we've been invited to to come alongside the Archdiocese of, of Chicago in their process of, of renewal, in, which really is starting, the starting point of that renewal process is dealing with the structure because sometimes, in some cases, the in order to free leadership and resources up to for the real task of, of renewing the church from the inside, you have to deal with the structure because the structure is pulling you down. And the Archdiocese of Chicago, like many other uh, U.S. and North American dioceses, is, is dealing with an outdated structure that really comes from you know the, the 40s and the 50s, uh, from a different era, really. And so they're asking the question, how do we address the structural issue? And they, they've They've created a plan and they've been executing this plan for a couple of years. But now they're saying, okay, we know that if we simply change structure and, and nothing else, the decline will continue. So they've asked us to come alongside and help. And so there's, uh, we're going to be doing some coaching with some parishes in the coming year. But to launch that, we're, we're gathering with all the priests of the diocese and their lay leaders. So there's something like about 2,000 people coming. And we're kind of going there to say, you know, um, to, to get to know them a little bit and help them to get to know us a little bit and maybe speak into some principles and form relationships and, and see where it goes. So we're, we're kind of, we've got, I think there's eight of us from our team from around the world actually com- coming in uh, from various places. And so just ask people to keep us in, in, in their prayers. We'll be doing a Spanish track for the work, the workshops as well, which I'm really excited. It's the first time we've had an opportunity to do that specifically. So it is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's very courageous. And I know they also got help with that process through CLI. We're not the only people that they've kind of partnered with to say, hey, you know what, we want to do this right. And I, you know, I had an opportunity to go down there a while ago and meet with uh, some of their key people in their, and only some because they have a big diocese, but some of their key people in their diocese. And boy, I'll tell you, talk about committed, faith-filled, intelligent people who are laser focused on, on, on getting results and trying to help. Mm. I, I was really impressed. I'm really impressed with what they're doing and how they're doing it. But I know change is hard, yeah. you know, and I know at the local parish levels, I mean, we know what it was like when, you know, we came in to St. Benedict Parish, but it was Father Bernie O'Neill that, that had to cast a vision and bring those three, par- close three parishes, sell them off and build this new building, which became St. Benedict Parish. That was hard. And, and, you know, we came in, people were still wounded and feeling it. And so I don't want to, you know, that's part of this process. And it's painful, it's hard, and there is hope. And and if we can stay focused on Jesus and together kind of figure out how do we lead in these different phases of where we're at so that we can lead people to a place of health Mm. and hope and impact and that's my hope for our time there. And it's very similar to what we ourselves are going through here in the Archdiocese of Halifax, Yarmouth, because we're looking at moving from 65 parishes and 25 missions, uh, which currently are functioning as about 43 parish, uh, clusters or, or groupings. Uh, we're mo- moving from that roughly down to about 19 parishes. Right. And our goal is to have uh, no priest by himself anymore. Like every, every priest leader with a team of people, there might be uh, several locations, but it's the whole point of this restructuring is for the sake of mission. Because And, and the starting point of, of a, a missionary church is to begin to move our churches to a place of health. It's not about trying to be like this church or that church or copying this church or you know doing particular things. The goal is health. The, the goal is health and for a missionary outlook. And that's going to look different from church to church. You know, it's interesting. Just this morning, I, I, I go to the, Dan and I go to a, a men's ministry, him in a different parish. And uh, yours over in Dartmouth, closer to your home. And I was at St. Benedict's morning. We call the men's leadership gym, which gym stands for God, you and me. But uh, the leaders decided to, to meet this morning. And I'm not in the leadership team of that ministry, but I help out, help guide. And so I was invited in. And I'm just thinking about this morning, you're talking about set for mission. Of those four leaders, two of them were, were not Christian. Uh, you know, 
four years ago. And now they're leading this ministry of men totally sold out for Christ, open to the Holy Spirit, and using their gifts to do whatever it takes to build up the kingdom of God. Like, that's half. Like, isn't that cool? Can you imagine if churches could say half of their ministries are being led by people that didn't even know Jesus? Well, but that's that's what we were experiencing. <laughs> Four years ago, I, mean, I know. Here's the thing. Like, often, when, especially Catholics, when they think about parish renewal, the starting point is we've got to renew and mobilize the people we have. That's not our experience. If you use a tool like Alpha that can mobilize the people you have and also draw in people from outside, what puts fuel to the fire is when the inside church people see non-church outside people coming to know Jesus and having their lives transformed and stepping into ministry, getting involved in community and stepping into leadership. That blows people's minds. <laughs> and, and what we find is, yeah, like, like actually, actually your, your return on investment is often greater with non-church people than it is with churchy people. Couldn't agree more. And you want to turn your churchy people upside down, start evangelizing people outside the church. I, I was, on Monday morning, I did the 9 a.m. Mass at St. Benedict's, and afterwards I came out, and I saw Jen wheeling a big heart of, of stuff, and I remembered, I had heard through the grapevine that she had started a ministry for young mothers. And Jen, uh, six months ago, had been away from church for decades. And, and she was a young single mother, and she had um, not really much contact with the church at all. And, and she had, to make a long story short, a massive conversion through Alpha. And, and her testimony is so powerful. And now she's leading a ministry. And it's like, wow, this is so amazing. Like over 20. <laughs> and many of them were, are, many of the people participating, it was through the last daytime alpha. And many of them in this ministry were not churchgoers at all. So, wow. so it, it's just so exciting to see. So uh, we've got an amazing guest that we're about to bring on. So I'm going to stop us here because I'm really excited. We've invited a pastor, AJ Thomas, to join us for the second half of, uh, of the podcast today. He's a, he's a Wesleyan pastor and he's got an amazing parish or church. And, uh, and I'm just so excited to bring him in. So we're going to take a brief pause and we'll be right back. It's so great to have you on set along with us, AJ. But before we talk about your church, because I want to learn a little bit about what you're doing there and what's happening, I'd like to get to know, how in the world did you get connected with, with Father James, with St. Benedict, with Divine Renovation? Yeah, I'd, I'd been a pastor in town for a while, and I'd heard about this fella, Father James, and that he was a, a sharp leader and a smart guy, and I'm always looking to connect and to learn what I can. And uh, so reached out, and he agreed to meet with us and give us a tour of the church and just get to know each other a little bit. And our friendships kind of blossom from there. Oh, that's very cool. Do you remember meeting AJ the first time? Or, well, how, or? Could you, how could you not remember this man? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I remember as well, you, had a, you showed up in your Jeep. Yes. And you had a broken ankle. You were on crutches. Yes. And you brought Rob McDowell with you. I did. Yes, you did. And, and we had... And ultimately kind of, left him. Yes, you did. You <laughs> left him with us. <laughs> so but we had kind of been hearing about each other for a while. I'd been hearing a lot about what was happening at your church and some of the innovative things you were doing. And Halifax is a reasonably small place. So I was thrilled. It was great. And we had a great conversation. We talked theology, mission, church. I gave you the tour. And I think uh, about two months after that, we had lunch one time. I believe uh, with so. With a couple of other people. And it yeah. just, just kind of went from there. Absolutely, yeah. And so that would have been a number of years ago. Uh, and so, so because yeah. if it was pre-Rob being on team at St. Benedict, that, that would have been a long time ago. And you guys are still talking even after all this time. Yes. Well, with Father James, you only get to talk to him like once every six months. So he doesn't get old. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't get old. <laughs> you know, I have to say, you know, uh, AJ came to DR16. Uh, you were at DR18 the 2016 as well. conference, yeah. Uh, I was, I was yeah. able to make it for part of DR18. I was there for all and of DR16. And once in a while, at Mass... You're saying Mass, and I look up, but AJ's at Mass. Like, once in a while, you actually show up at St. Benedict on yeah, a weekend. for sure. Uh, just to check in on us, I guess. Yeah, I, I uh, when I'm off, I don't like to go to my own church, because then I wind up working. Right. And I love going to churches where God's doing great stuff, and St. Benedict is one of those. And so, <laughs> I uh, yeah, 
couple of times a year, usually I wind up mm. sitting in on mass. Well, it's kind of fun when you come too, because you always have a flock of people around you because so many people follow you on Twitter. Yeah, yeah that, it's, that, it's that, good fun to, that, I get to meet people that I don't actually know, like you know, <laughs> in, in the real world. And they'll come up and introduce themselves by their Twitter handle. They know I don't know their Susie Bankbean. So Susie Bankbean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but truly there's an admiration and respect uh, mm. for so many parishioners who know you and your church and what you've done. And Rob's been a great link as well to learn from other denominations. It's just been so so why don't we help people understand your church a little bit? And then, so for those who, who have never attended Deepwater, which is the name of your church, which yeah. would be the vast majority of people listening, um, it's it's a, a, a small but modest growing church in the city. How would you describe it? Yeah, so uh, we're uh, a relatively young church, uh, certainly uh, compared to most Catholic churches, we're very young. We're about 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we, we've been kind of growing kind of at a, a fairly uh, consistent rate since we started. And uh, on a given Sunday right now, there's about 500, 550 people or so who had come out to worship. And uh, yeah, that's us. And I think one of the things that I, that I find interesting that's happened at Deepwater is that you have had that sort of steady growth. So just for what would it have looked like maybe a couple of years ago? How, how big was the community sure. then? Uh, two years ago, a typical Sunday would have been about 250 people. And, uh, yeah, and so we've, I mean, kind of been through seasons of faster and slower growth yeah. uh, over that time. But this last couple of years has been, I mean, just exponential, growing like crazy, having to add extra worship services, having to add all kinds of extra staff um, just to try to, to keep up with the good stuff God's doing. And, and A.G., well, what is the average age of the, the people who come to your church? Uh, I mean, it's a fairly broad spread, but I would say still the majority would be somewhere in their 20s or early 30s. There's still kind of a bubble uh, there for sure. And over that's always been true for us. And then over time, we've we've figured out uh, one way or another to try to add in some folks who are a little further along uh, in life. Um, but yeah, that, that still a lot of young adults, a lot of kind of early in their career, college students, that kind of 20s and early 30s zone. I see. I find that so remarkable because you know, so often we find it's the exact opposite, right? That it's hard to reach uh, those those ages, and, and certainly hard to engage them. What are some of the things that you're doing? You think that are are drawing them in, that are attracting them into the community? Yeah, uh, part of that I think is is you know typical. Make sure stuff's interesting and engaging, and and uh, that type of thing. But I think the more kind of uh, deeper level stuff probably ties back to leadership. And making sure there are young people who are actually in active leadership, visible leadership. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I think is really true of young people, probably always has been, but certainly kind of the generation that's in that 20s and 30s zone today is they're, they're happy to go to church with their parents, but they don't want to go to their parents' church. Uh, as in, they don't want to feel like they're a guest at their own church. And they don't want to feel like kind of they're still sitting at the kids' table. You know, I don't know if in your family, but like in Thanksgiving, you know, you got the, the big table and then the kids table and, uh, and young people today, you know, if you're in your twenties and thirties, uh, you don't want to feel like you're still sitting at the kids table. And so you're happy to sit, you know, at the table with your parents and your grandparents and everyone else, but you want to feel like, yeah, you've got some voice, some input, some ability to be engaged in ways uh, that matter, that make a difference. I think a lot of that ties back to what you guys were talking about earlier, when people uh, come to faith and are filled with the Holy Spirit and develop this passion for ministry. Uh, young people want an outlet for that. Yeah. They want a place where they could, you know, at 25 or at, at, at 30, they could step up and say, hey, here's a, a vision I have for a ministry. Could we do this? Or, or would you coach me to help me figure out how to put this into place? And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that idea of letting them be the church, like not just have a side program for them or a couple little kind of tidbits we dangle to try to keep them happy, but to just say, hey, like you're legit grownups now, welcome to the church and letting them be part of, uh, of leadership, part of vision, uh, both, you know, in the behind the scenes kind of areas, uh, you know, around the tables where dreams are dreamed and plans are made. And also just in those ways that help communicate that to the congregation, you know, having them up front on a Sunday doing something or having them making an announcement about something or that type of thing, I think, uh, yeah, helps helps them to get their head around the, the, the idea that this is not just my parents' church, this is my church mm-hmm. too. How do you think some of that would translate for the Catholic context, Father James? How do you see that sort of fitting in with that, that notion of giving leadership roles to, to younger people? 
I was recently in a conversation with Matthew Neville, uh, the the president of Alpha International when we were in, in Detroit. And uh, we had a great chat and he, he said something that was, I, I found it was very simple, but very profound. And he said that, you know, the natural flow of a church, I mean, here, here's the thing, we know that that the things that make a difference, they never happen by themselves. You've got to be intentional. It's, that's the rule of life, but also in the church. And he said, if you're not intentional in the church, things will always go up and in. Yep. Because mm. your sheep, the sheep you have, guess what? Every year, they get older. <laughs> the age of your church, by its, you, in fact, you don't have to do anything. You just do nothing and your church will get older. It will go up. It'll go up in age. And, and if you're not intentional, it becomes inward focus. I mean, the, the church that goes out of the upper room to proclaim the gospel is driven out through the fire of the Holy Spirit will eventually return to the upper room if we're not renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that tendency to go up in age, to become older and to become inward focus, that will happen all by itself. We need to be intentional to push in the opposite direction. And whether that's getting young leadership in your church as a whole or in the specific context of Alpha, to get younger table leaders and, and people in ministry. Because when we started eight years ago, Ron, I think the average age of our Alpha team was like 63 or something because we had an old parish and we've been working at bringing that age down because the younger the leaders, the younger the guests. And so to drive it down and out, and we had a good laugh because I said, uh, we we're actually having a scotch at the time. I said, Here's to being down and out. <laughs> so we need to bring, bring the age down and, and, and focus outward. So up and in versus down and out. But by training, I'm a youth pastor. And one of the things they taught us uh, when I was studying youth ministry is that when a kid walks into your church, walks into the youth room of your church, walks into that youth meeting, one of the first questions they ask is, who's here like me? They're looking around mm-hmm. to say, who's here that's like me? And I think uh, we all do that. I mean, if you walk into a restaurant, you walk into some sort of meeting with people, there's uh, at least on a subconscious level, you're looking around going, who are the people that are here who are similar to me? A, because that's who I can connect with. And B, their presence gives me some sense of permission or right to be here and to be a part of this and to participate. And so I think a lot of times, uh, yeah, there's, if a young person walks in and everyone who, you know, gets to hold a microphone, everyone who gets to make a decision, everyone who's uh, in any sort of position of influence or leadership or or kind of comes across as being a true insider yes. is the age of their grandparents. Yep. Even if they're the most loving people in the world yes, in those right. roles, there's on a, a just kind of a gut level response that goes, oh, this isn't for me. That's right. They, they didn't, this is not a thing where people like me go, go. And so things we can do to be intentional about making sure that when someone walks into, again, whether it's to an, an opening night of Alpha, whether it's to uh, your Sunday worship gathering, whatever it is, that, that they can go, all right, who's here like me and see some people. And this works whether you're talking about uh, being multi-ethnic or multi-generational or any sort of thing where you're yes. trying to spread out kind of the, uh, the breadth of impact you have in terms of uh, people's age and stage and background and stuff that the more you can do to be intentional about them when they walk in going, oh, there's someone like me, it's okay for me to be here. There's someone who looks like me, dresses like me, is my age, whatever else. It gives them a, a greater sense that, that they're welcome. And, that and often in, in many parishes, like things like the age of a lector, you know, I mean, certainly we, we've got, we want people to be ministering out of their giftedness. And honestly, at St. Benedict Parish, some of our best lectors are, are people of, of a more mature age. They're phenomenal. So we, we definitely want them to be, to be ministering out of their gifts. But once again, we've got to be intentional about getting some younger faces up there. Remember a couple of years ago when we first started the Benedictus, our, our monthly magazine, and the front cover is usually a, kind of glossy picture. And after about seven, eight months, there was a little bit of rumbling from some of the faithful seniors saying, how come the, the front pictures always show young people? And it's like, well, that, that's intentional. The goal is not simply to represent our community. This, this is a, a tool to, to reach out and draw people in. And Ron, you, you have that quote about, what is that quote about oh, selling yeah. a car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, D- Dave uh, shared this with me. He used to work for the Ford Motor Company. Apparently Henry Ford used to have an or at Ford, they had an expression: "You can sell a, a, a old man a young man's car, but you can't sell a young man an old man's car." Mm-hmm. And it's true. I, I go to meetings sometimes, and if if there's a younger person who's enthusiastic and committed running the meeting, I can't get the smile off my face. I'm just so excited. And I think as, as a generation that has more experience, I think we, if we considered that success, mm. when we can. 
when we can bring the average age of our ministry and leadership down, let's consider that success not being pushed out. Like That's I, right. I remember Jen Ferry, when she was running Alpha, there was somebody who had come through Alpha and great presence, great speaker. I thought, I said to her, hey, that person there, they're going to make a great MC. And she said, no. I said, well, why not? What do, you, what do you mean? She said, too much gray hair. And, and, and look at my hair. And so, <laughs> clearly I wouldn't be invited either. But, but what she was saying is, Ron, I thought you said we need to be intentional right. about putting younger and younger people in those roles so that we can drive. And to, be, to your point, when we started Alpha, we didn't have any young tables at all. Yeah. And, and I remember last year, it, our number one age demographic was under 35 yeah. at Alpha. Like just down and out. Booming, down, down and, and out. out. It's true. I, uh, I love what you were saying about uh, the the lectors and how you have some very uh, experienced and skilled uh, older lectors, or even if you're talking about alpha table group leaders, because one of the things I find with younger folks today uh, is that they want that they want that connection, they want to be mm. involved, but they also are uh, fairly aware, uh, self aware of their own limitations, their own uh, challenges, their own lack of experience, even, and sometimes like all of us, they struggle with self doubt, and so if you can take some of those really uh, seasoned leaders and leverage them not just to do the work, but also to mentor someone right. else in it to say, right. hey, you know, Jim, we think you could be a great lector. Steve is amazing at this. Why don't you start working with Steve? Why don't you get together with Steve and build those connections? So then you also have uh, a relational component that's happening as opposed to just a people in, in holes, fill in positions kind of component. AJ, I was wanting to ask you, you've mentioned then being intentional about leadership is, is partly what explains the fruit that you've experienced in your church. What other elements would you say have contributed to the, to the growth in life that you've seen? Yeah, uh, we try to make sure that we uh, communicate things very clearly and uh, plainly, not shallow, but clear. And I think a lot of times we, we create this false dichotomy that in, say, preaching or, or things like that, where we're communicating theological truth, spiritual truth, that our options are either to be uh, so kind of vague and esoteric that no one will understand, but very deep. Or we can be <laughs> super kind of shallow and fluffy and everyone will get it, but it won't matter. Mm. And I think the challenge is to figure out that the reason uh, that we don't just hand people Bibles and say, read this and figure it out on your own, is because it does take some help. Now, we want to teach and train people how to do that, but we also want to have people who are communicating Scripture, who are communicating biblical truth, that are speaking uh, with the full depth that comes with what that Scripture says, but with a clarity and with an explanation that's helpful for people. So I think things like that uh, are super important. And from clarity on that all the way over to how do you participate on a Sunday morning? What does it look like to show up here and attend? What do you need to do? What don't you have to do? Uh, those kind of things. But uh, at the end of the day, and this, when you were talking earlier, I, I couldn't help but think about this. At the end of the day, the thing that matters is the presence of God in a community of people, using those people to see other people transformed. Amen. And that's, that's addictive, man. Like you, people it? can't get enough of it and it that's energizes right. them. And yeah, you're, you're kind of dear old saint who's been keeping that pew warm for 20 years now or 40 years now. When they start seeing someone's life absolutely transformed by this, not just, uh, I, I think of in Romans where he talks about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by, by the renewing of your mind. When they're not just conformed to churchiness, yes. but they're transformed into yeah. the likeness of Christ. Man, that'll get, uh, anyone that that doesn't get out of the pew wasn't a Christian in the first place, so you need to reach them too. Amen. I think too, you know what you were saying about preaching, if simplicity is opposed to profundity, how do you explain the ministry of Jesus? Yeah. I mean, there was no deeper teacher and yet more simple in how he yeah. explained things. It's very I think clear. It, all, it made sense, right? Oftentimes in our, in our Catholic context, there is a sense that we, we have got to be, use big theological words and be really, in order to be deep, but then, then we don't communicate. And I think a lot of it has to do with the underlying presumptions. Like a lot of Sometimes what frustrates me in, in our, our, our Catholic experience is that the presumption generally made on a weekend is that, okay, everyone here is, is fully alive. They, they, they know Jesus. They're, they're, they've made a commitment. They're, they, they, they're on board with church teaching in every aspect, and that's a starting point, and it's totally the wrong starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I think that we've got to come at it with the assumption that these people are like barely here. Mm. They're, they're, even if they may, maybe have been attending for a long time, you kind of got to go from the perspective of they're just here because of inertia. Or, or for new people, you've got to not just think, oh, this is someone who, you know, they believe all this and that's why they showed up at our church. 
but you have to come at it from the perspective of thinking this is someone who may not believe what we believe or agree with what we teach or or may even if they're very open and they're there in good faith they just don't know the backstory they don't they don't understand what's going on i uh, i often speak of uh, when my wife and i went to see one of the first wolverine movies that came out the superhero i grew up on comic books she didn't so as soon as Hugh Jackman steps onto the screen, I start freaking out. Like this is <laughs> this is a deeply meaningful experience for me because I know all the backstory. I know what's going on. I know who's there. My wife goes, "Who's that guy?" Because <laughs> for her, she didn't know all the stuff I knew. She didn't. She hadn't read the book yet. You know, she didn't know the backstory. And what was deeply meaningful for me was completely empty for her. Yeah. And I think so often we expect people to come knowing the backstory. We expect people to come with an understanding of the gospel and an understanding of church and an understanding of how uh, our worship environment works and when to stand and when to sit and what this means. And even in, in we, we refer to things, you know, like, oh, that's a, that's a real David and Goliath kind of moment. And people go, who are, who are those people? Like, they don't know. And uh, we have to kind of switch out of that idea that, you know, we've got people who are maybe uh, well-formed, passionate disciples and then people who are thoroughly formed, slightly less passionate disciples, and that's it. Those are the two options. Uh, but increasingly, we have people who are coming into our churches who wouldn't know Jesus if they tripped over him. And we need to be speaking in a language that makes sense to them, but also speaking in a language that says, we knew you were going to be here. Mm. We expected you to come. Mm. Because when you talk like you're only talking to insiders, when outsiders hear that, their first thought is, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. This is yes. not for me. I, I'm, uh, I'm at a family reunion for a family I'm not a part of. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to have that language from how we welcome people to the actual ways we choose to explain the gospel that say to people, we knew you were coming. We were expecting you. We, we're, we're here because of you. We want you to be a part of this thing and find ways to communicate again everything communicates, right? So whether it's yes. how you're shaking hands at the front door or whether it's the key point of the homily, everything communicates. And we've got to communicate to people. We've got to send the message that it's okay that you don't know what we're talking about or that That's you right. don't agree with us mm-hmm. or that you don't believe this or you maybe don't even trust us. Yeah. But we love you and we're really glad <laughs> that you're here and we want you to feel at home. It's so funny. You're jacking me right up. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Uh, it was neat because in Mass, you know, in the Catholic tradition, nobody wears a hat. In mass. And I saw this young teenager or maybe early 20s coming up with his baseball hat on in communion line. And I just was so grateful. Like, he doesn't know that you're not supposed to do that. And I just thought, thanks be to God, we have somebody here. Because clearly he doesn't totally. know. And totally. I just thought, thanks be to God. Yeah. I have a pastor thanks friend be. who would describe folks like that. He'd say, not even housebroken yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's who we want, right? That's yeah. who we want. Babies yeah. are messy. Instead of, yeah. And you want babies. Like that's anything that is healthy reproduces uh, or at least goes through a phase of life where it reproduces biologically speaking. But if the church is yeah. going to continue to grow, we've got to be reproducing. And, so, and that's going to be messy. And so often Amen. the church is like um, a, a household of adult children. Uh, all the kids haven't moved out and they're still home and they're in their 20s, 30s and there's no young kids. And when a young, when an infant comes into that environment, it's like, it's so disruptive. Yeah. But they've, 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 they've grown so unused to having newborns and yet uh, mm-hmm. the church is meant to, to be constantly giving birth. I'm thinking about, you know, these principles and bringing them into a Catholic context. And we're very much aware it, it, with Divine Renovation and with, with St. Benedict Parish, our model was was that our, our our primary point of intersection with the unchurch, our primary invitation point is not the weekend. It's not weekend mass. It's alpha. However, we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that people aren't walking through our doors because people are walking through our doors. And the amount of unchurch people who actually come through our doors and then take alpha is, is actually Excuse. quite high. So that principle comes to bear in that, and yet it, it bumps up against this other principle, the mass is, was never intended to be a frontline evangelization tool because it presumes so much about of the, what people believe and know. And I'm just wondering, you know, the, the question for us is how do we bring those principles in? And AJ, you, you know, you've been, uh, you show up at Mass once in a while, you have a, an appreciation and respect for the Catholic tradition. I'm just wondering, what's your perspective? Like when you come to Mass, like what, you, what as, as someone who's, in a sense, outside of the tradition, what, even though you believe... Yeah. What, I, I, what do you what do you experience? 
Yeah, I attend Mass several times a year. I mean, I come to St. Benedict, but I also go to other churches. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, maybe there's a transferable principle in this that part of the reason I do it is because I want to go somewhere where I don't know what's going on and I feel like an awkward outsider because I feel very at home in my church. Right. And I don't want to forget what it feels like to not mm. feel at home. So please don't fix all the Catholic churches because I need one I can go visit. And feel, <laughs> feel awkward at. That'd be good for me. But for, for me, the, the, honestly, the, the biggest uh, kind of fear or awkward thing for me is there is so much you're supposed to know to do and I don't know how to do any of it. Right. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I finally, I have a friend who's a deacon and I sat him down. I said, how do you do that? What's is the right order for the cross on your side? I don't know how to do any of that. Like, what do I do? Um, and then you watch too, and you see one of the things I've observed is there's a, a kind of a variance of how even, you know, good Catholic people, like some people kneel when they get it. Some people bow when they're going into their seat. Some people do that when they like, what is going on? What am I supposed to do? And my biggest worry, uh, as someone, I mean, you wouldn't find someone who is, more behind what you guys are doing, yet less familiar with what in the world you're doing, uh, is how do I participate in this in a way that doesn't give offense? Right. How do I, how do I behave? Like, is there, is there certain, like, I know, for example, I should not go as a non-Catholic, I shouldn't go up and receive the Eucharist. Um, but what else would be inappropriate? And then what should I make sure I do? And and those are the big kind of questions for me. And so it, it leads to this idea of uh, in trying to put myself in the mind of someone who doesn't even know anyone who goes to a, a particular parish. I'm walking into a room full of strangers who, as far as I can tell, this is the most important thing in their life. And I have a chance to mess it up significantly or to offend them or to, to throw that whole thing off. And so I think at the very least, someone who is, again, predisposed to give you the benefit of the doubt is going, I still don't, like, I don't want to be a bad guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I grew up in the Maritimes here, and when you go into someone's house, you take your shoes off. You just do. I have friends from the South that that's the craziest thing in the world for them, right? And so they'll walk into some Maritimer's home with their shoes on, and they're trying to be there. Oh, I love your house, and this is nice, and you're great. And they're being as polite as they possibly can be. But what they don't realize is that not taking your shoes off has got everyone, especially whoever the mom in the house is, going, what is it? Who raised this kid? Like, what is there? You know, and so for me, that's kind of the thing. It's like, I, I want to have a sense of, when do I take my shoes off or not? Yeah. Right? Do I, what, what's the etiquette? What's the, the, the So what advice behavior? would you give um, to our, most of our listeners? I mean, we have some non-Catholics who listen to our podcast, but most of our listeners are, 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 are Catholics. What advice would you give it not just in terms of the mass or the weekend, but just in against yeah. the, on the whole spectrum, make things as accessible as you can for people as understandable. And I think that's one of the, the great things about alpha is everyone knows how to sit and listen. Everyone knows how to eat and everyone knows how to have a conversation. Uh, and so some of those kind of principles are so transferable to, to go, all right, how do I make this for a lot of people, faith in general, religion, is, is this impenetrable wall of mystery, right? And so figuring out how do I give them some glimpse over, glimpses over that wall or how do I kind of turn it into uh, take the wallness away? And it's a different thing. It's another thing, but it's something you can see and begin to understand. People, a lot of times I find today, they want to have a chance to kind of get in and check it out and see what it's like before they buy into it. Uh, in the tradition that I was raised in and been a part of, you know, the typical story was some heathen shows up off the street and some fiery preacher yells the gospel at him for an hour and a half <laughs> and they fall to their knees and give their lives completely to Christ and join the church and then ask, what did I just do? Uh, and I don't mean that in a regret sense. They just go like, I'm signed up, but I don't know what I signed up for. Right. And I think uh, today, most people, they want to get in and they want to kind of sandbox it a little bit. They want to go, does this actually work? Does this actually change people? Is what the guy says on Sunday line up with what the people experience during the week? Uh, how does this answer this question? How does this deal with it? And so creating ways that, that people can participate before they're in fully, I mean, formally initiated into the faith, uh, I think is, is super important. And, uh, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses, I think, to, to different denominational traditions uh, some of us who come from kind of evangelical world, we have a strength that that, that wall is a little less thick. Mm. Um, 
but I, I would gracefully agree with my Catholic brothers. So sometimes there's not as much on the other side of the wall. <laughs> uh, the Catholic faith has so much rich uh, tradition and theology, and uh, there, there's so much there. Um, and I think the challenge for a lot of Catholic churches is going to be figuring out how do we get people from here to there mm. without expecting them just to make a kind of a carte blanche, I don't know what I'm signing up for, but I'm jumping into it kind of thing, going, how can someone come and be a part of a church in a meaningful way? Not necessarily part of leadership or whatever, but be a participant in the life of the church for weeks or months or maybe even years uh, as they try to figure out, is this something I'm going to embrace or believe? Um, now, I say weeks, months, or even years. Of course, generally, the deeper people are allowed to come in. Like the deep, That's, again, one of the beautiful things about Alpha. They're brought into deep community really yeah, quickly. True, yep. And that tends to fast-track that process. Mm. Um, you know, if someone came to Alpha and heard all the talks but didn't have the discussion times, uh, I bet you they'd have to go through Alpha like 12 times before they go, yeah, I think I know what I think about this, right? Mm -hmm. But there's Same something about that community interaction, that, that life-on-life stuff uh, that, that, that's transformative for people. There's something about the way the Holy Spirit chooses to work through that. And so whatever you can do to help people be able to get in and experience uh, what faith looks like, what a relationship with Jesus actually means— uh, I think that before they're willing to say, I do have faith, I do believe, baptize me tomorrow kind of a thing. Uh, I think that's super, uh, super important and super helpful. And I think it's a thing that, um, again, is, is every tradition has its unique challenge. And I think that's one that for Catholicism mm. uh, may, may require even more intentionality mm. than it might in some others. Well, even as I'm listening to you, AJ, like I, I got anxious literally as you're describing your situation because I care about you. I know who you are. I know how much you care about us. And the thought of you feeling that way breaks my heart. And, and my heart needs to be broken that way. And I remember when we did bring Rob on staff and as a part of our senior leadership team, we were so excited mm. because he was able to bring that sensitivity to our insensitivity. And it wasn't intentional. We just use words and language and make assumptions we don't even know we make. Yeah, yeah. And, There's no way to know what's inside and outside if you're an insider. Yeah. If you've grown up in it your whole life. And I mean, I'm a pastor's kid who grew up on the campus of a Bible college and went to a Christian school. Uh, so I'm as insider as it comes, kind of in, in Christianity in general and in my tradition. And so it's had to be a, a huge discipline to figure out how to do that. In fact, when we first started Deepwater, one of the things I very intentionally did was try to make some good friendships with some people who were, I mean, not even remotely believers and have some good conversations with them and then begin to build in my mind this kind of composite person uh, who doesn't get it and doesn't agree. They're not hostile. They're just, they're just not on board. You know, it's not like I'm trying to build some angry atheist in my head, but someone so that everything I say on a Sunday, I can hear their response to it in my head, right? And they're mm -hmm. going like, well, what, why? Well, what difference does that make? Well, how does that work? You know, well, what do I do now? And, and you kind of need to have that person in your head, uh, whether it's a, a real person <laughs> or a right. kind of a yep. made-up person. Or a, well, if we're going to catch fish, kind of you generally want to know what kind of bait totally. to use or what kind of lure. I mean, Absolutely. And in that world of fishing, you, you know, you catch different fish with different kinds of bait. And, yep. and so we've got to know who, who, who it is that we're going after. AJ, what are some of the things that you, you communicate on, on your Sunday, your Sunday experience? What are some of the specifics? Like, like yeah. Drive it down to some specifics. What sure. are some of the ways you talk or, or, or react to it? So a couple of the key things, I think, for us, uh, very early, usually after the first song, which for us, we start with a song. Uh, the band will play something. It's fun. It gets everyone's attention. They're actually, you know, they got their coffee. They're sitting down. They're ready to focus. Someone will get up, usually one of the pastoral staff, and will say something to this effect. Uh, welcome to deep water. If this is one of your first times ever worshiping with us, we want you to know we understand how weird an experience that could be. Uh, at various times over the next hour or so, there's going to be times when people stand, times when people sit, times when people sing, times when people close their eyes. Some people will even maybe raise their hands or clap. Feel free to do all of it or none of it. Whatever's comfortable for you, there is no expectation at all on how you participate. What matters to us is not kind of the mechanics of what you do, what matters to us is what you experience, and we want you to experience uh, the love of God for you and our love for you, and we want you just to make yourself at home. Uh, that would be one key thing. Another thing would be during our, we do communion every week, which is not normal for our tradition. Uh, 
To my knowledge, there are five Wesleyan churches in the world that do communion every Sunday, and we're one of them. Um, and we'll explain to people, you know, what uh, this is about, what this means. It gives us a chance to explain the gospel every week, like we're created for a relationship with God. And so no matter what else we might be talking about, we always have a chance to give that kind of key core message of the gospel. Probably not enough to answer everyone's questions about it, but at least enough to help them ask the right questions. What does it mean that I'm a sinner? What does it mean that I need a savior? What does it mean that Christ died for me? Uh, you know, those types of things. And then we'll always uh, say, I say something to this, this uh, effect. I want to invite everyone who's here to participate in this time in one of two ways. If you're uh, here and you're just kind of checking out the whole Jesus thing, you, you wouldn't consider yourself a believer in Jesus or a follower of Jesus, uh, but you're just here because you had some questions you were wrestling with or maybe a friend invited you, I want to encourage you to use this time to do what it is you came here to do. Take some time to think and ponder and maybe even give prayer a shot and just say, hey, God, if you're there and this is true and, and I really am a sinner and I really do need a savior and Jesus is that savior and through him I can have a relationship with you, if that's true, God, give me the faith to believe it. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to come in and take the bread and the juice and we'll kind of work our way forward uh, from there. But it gives those folks who aren't in a place to participate in communion some idea of what do I do during this time. Uh, and it also gives us a chance as a part of that, I'll usually say, you know, if that's your kind of why you're here. We want you to know we're super glad you're here. We started this church for people who are on that exact same journey you're on. You're a VIP here with us this morning. We're, mm-hmm. we're so glad you're here. You know, and then at the, sorry, at the end, then the other thing we'll do is we just tell people what the next step is to take, which is to you fill out a card and sign up for our weekly email. But that gives us a way to follow up with them. And again, it's just another statement every week. We know there will be new people here. We've built this into our liturgy that we have to talk to the new people about what to do because they're always here. Here's the thing, you know, if you, if you expect new people to be there, there will be new people. If you don't, if you're underlying, your starting presumption is we expect no one new to be here, guess what? Absolutely. No, your expectations will be met. Absolutely. And I think about what we do at St. Benedict Parish. It's always been that sense of how do we squeeze the liturgy to be more welcoming um, to those on the outside, but yet respect the integrity. And I think there's a lot that can be done. And I think a little bit of what we do, I sometimes feel is a bit out there compared to other churches but when I hear you, I'm getting a conviction that Me maybe too. there's a few things we can do. <laughs> yeah, we can do even even more. better. I love the the way that you explain the participation in in communion, and of course, we know that we have very different understandings of the Eucharist. And yet, you know, and for all intents and purposes, you, you know, you believe the Eucharist is a is a powerful symbol. We believe that it is more than a symbol, but you actually give more participatory direction. Than, than, than almost most Catholic churches. Most Catholic churches just avoid it. We, we don't deal with it. We just and we leave people confused. Technically, we believe it's a means of grace, which is a thing in the middle. I just have to point yeah, that out. Yeah, because you <laughs> In case any of my theologically-minded Wesleyan friends Actually, are listening to this. It's, it's very interesting. We're not pure representative. Wesleyanism, Wesleyanism is, is a kind of ultimately an offshoot from the Anglican faith. And, it, and there is kind of a, our theology of grace between Catholics and Wesleyans is almost the same. Yeah. And also there's a, the, the, there's a sacramental theology that you guys have as well. So in, in all, in all honesty, if you are a Catholic leader and you're going, I think it might be helpful to have an outside perspective, but from someone who gets ministry and gets mm. church leadership, uh, if you can find someone who's from uh, some kind of Orthodox, small O Orthodox kind of side of the Wesleyan Methodist kind of family mm. of faith, um, yeah, there's a lot of times that we have as much as much common ground with our Catholic brothers and sisters as we would our Reformed or Catholic, mm. uh, or our Reformed or uh, Calvinist brothers and sisters. And uh, and generally, we play nice. And if you talk to a Wesleyan <laughs> pastor and they don't play nice, uh, tell me about it. I'll call. Them. <laughs> AJ, can, can I ask a question? You know, there's I, you know, I've often thought about this that there's two extremes it seems in 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 the world of church with reaching out to people and. And one is the, the kind of the beginning with all are welcome, uh, which I think is great. Like all are welcome. And we say this often at St. Benedict, that we don't care where, where, you're, where you are, uh, what you've done, what you've not done, as long as you're open to going somewhere. So it's all are welcome, but welcome to what? Yeah. And some churches have this all are welcome approach, but they don't seem to be welcoming people to anything. Uh, whereas the other extreme is, well, you're only welcome if you fit this narrow category, if you look like us, think like us, speak like us, understand like us. And yet I think the, the proper stance is kind of like an all are welcome, but we're very clear that what we're welcoming you to, we're welcoming you to a journey uh, to, to, to growth and holiness and mission, uh, because that's the Christian life. How, how do you 
convey that, that, that because sometimes there seems to be a tension between welcome and, a, and an expectation of growth. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is a, a, a real tension there. Yeah, I mean, it's that whole thing of, you know, what are we welcoming people to? Ultimately, we're welcoming them, welcoming them to Jesus uh, and Jesus who died for the worst sinner and Jesus who wants to make all of us saints. Uh, and that's, that's the welcome, right? And so one of the ways we try to articulate that to help kind of us keep our head around the mechanics of that at Deepwater is we say that we are a, a high challenge but low pressure environment, which means if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, we're going to tell you and we're not going to pull any punches and we're going to let you know, like, it's not just going to be about what you do for an hour on Sunday. He's going to find his way into your wallet and your bedroom and your work. And like, it's high challenge. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus and you're invited but you're welcome to hang out here as long as it takes for you to figure out if you're willing to do that. Mm. Uh, which I think is, is, at the end of the day, it's a very Jesus-y way to go about it, right? Like Jesus said, <laughs> uh, consider the cost, right? Or people would come and they'd say, I want to follow you. And he'd say, all right, but you're going to be homeless. And they'd go, okay, I need some more time to think about it. <laughs> and he'd go, okay, you know? Uh, and so I think that idea of, of not pulling any punches about what it means to follow Jesus and not pulling any punches about the fact that that's what we do. Our mission statement at our church is helping people become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. So if you, like, that's what, we're, that's what we have to offer you. That's what we're going to be telling you about. But there's no expectation that you start there. Uh, there's no, it's not, you know, being just a little community of already passionate mm-hmm. followers of that's Jesus right. Christ, right? We help people yeah. who, who aren't there yet. And, and we'll go with, we meet you where you are, go at kind of your speed. Again, if it's some people, they show up their first Sunday, they're convinced and converted and, I mean, it's beautiful. And then there's other people who kick around for sometimes a couple of years and then go, no, all right, I get this, I'm in. Um, But you can't soft sell what it means to follow Jesus. Mm. Yet at the same time, you can't tell people that until they're ready to make that commitment, they don't belong. Uh, If you look at the disciples, they were terrible Christians. Yeah. Right? Until well after the resurrection. Like they were disciples well before they were Christians, right? Uh, And so... You know, to go, yeah, you're going to have some Thomases who just, they're going to wander around with you for three years and they're going to see it all and they're going to be told about the resurrection and they're still going to go, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> you're going to have patience with them. Or you're going to have some Peters who are going to sign up. They're, yes, I'm in. Woo, let's do it. Right. And then there's going to be like, all right, here's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And they're gonna be like, sweet, that's cool. I'm out, you know, and, and then they're going to come back going, yeah, I kind of duffed that one. Right. And you're going to go, yeah, let's pick up from here and keep moving forward. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's our attempt to reflect what we see in Jesus, that he called people to follow him, but you don't ever see him browbeating people because uh, they weren't ready hey, yet. Or AJ, whatever. I think that this, this point of the conversation is one of the most critical conversations that we can have today in the church, because certainly within the Catholic context with, uh, say, the leadership of, of Pope Francis and the kind of model of, of pastoral model of walking with people that he's advocating, the some who accuse him of, of advocating compromise, so we're, that we're not calling out sin, we're not clear on things and, and, and such. And I, personally, I don't think that's true. I think, I think this is perfectly in the Jesus zone. This is how Jesus did it, that the walking with people, the, the, what we would call in the Catholic tradition, that the law of, of, uh, of gradualness, meaning you walk with people, it doesn't mean the, the, the gradualness of the law. We're not saying that, that, that if someone's life is still messy, that, that objectively is not an issue. Yes, it's an issue. But we're not going to start by hitting people over the head. And we're going to love people and walk with people and, and, and welcome them. But we are, I love that, what you say, what it's a high, high challenge, challenge, high challenge, low, low pressure. pressure. I think that's a brilliant way of putting it. And I think that, that, that tension, and sometimes we might err, you know, I think when you're, you're in the middle of any kind of tension, sometimes you err a little bit much to maybe, uh, one way or the other. One way or the other, you know, and, and so we always got to try to get that balance. That reminds me of another principle that we talk about sometimes around our church, which is trajectory over proximity, meaning that the, the trajectory of someone's spiritual life is far more important to us than the externals of their apparent proximity to Jesus or to Christ-likeness or to sainthood or whatever else. Meaning, if you've got someone who's been coming to your church for 30 years and they show up faithfully and they're not sleeping around, and they, you know, they're checking off whatever the boxes are, uh, but there's no growth going on in their life, mm. and there's no mm. passion, mm. and they're not any closer to Jesus today than they were 20 years ago, uh, versus someone who, mm. you know, they still got some stuff they got to figure out, and there's some, some places where they are yet to give God control of their life, 
but that's the trajectory they're on. And day by day, they're getting closer and closer, and they're, they're, they're driven by a passionate love for Christ. Amen. Uh, right? This is why Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? It's love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And my paraphrase, the rest will fall into place, right? Mm. And so if, if they have that trajectory of growth in Christ, I've got all the patience in the world love it. for that great. because they're going to get there. And someday they're going to pass, you know, dear brother or sister so-and-so who's been camped out 10 feet from Jesus for 30 years, but they've never been willing to kind of continue to grow yeah. and continue yeah, yeah. to move forward. And so, again, when you're talking about uh, participation or involvement in ministries versus serving in leaders, like leadership, there's conversations you have to have around what maturity levels are appropriate for those and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, if someone's on the right trajectory, they will get there. Yes. Mm. And if someone is externally seems close, but it's not moving, there's no reason to think they're ever going to start, right? Like yeah. there's no momentum in that direction. And so for me, when I'm trying to look at folks in the church and go, is this good? Is this healthy? Uh, then my question is always kind of what's the trajectory? Mm. The, the person who knows Jesus and grew up in the church and understands what's going on uh, and, and, and have given their life to Christ and been well-taught and well-trained, and then they decide to shack up with their, their significant other mm. is a whole different thing than the person who showed up one Sunday with their live-in boyfriend or girlfriend who, again, goes, there's a Jesus who now? And he did what now? <laughs> oh, this is amazing. I'm way less worried about that guy oh, yeah, living with right. his girlfriend than the guy who he knows better. And Because for him, that's actually a trajectory away. That's right. As mm. opposed to on a trajectory yeah. towards. AJ, I love what, what, what you're doing, what, what's happening with your leadership, your community, and, and everything that's happening at Deepwater. I think it's so inspiring, and I'm just so grateful for all that God's doing through you guys. If people want to learn more about Deepwater, where should they check you out? Uh, deepwaterchurch.com. And you guys actually, you, do you still live stream? Is that, is, yeah, we, we podcast and live stream uh, the sermons and the, and the worship experience every Sunday. And you can get to that by going to deepwaterchurch.com or go to iTunes and just search Deepwater Church. Awesome. It's all right there. Oh, thanks. So, well, thanks so much for being with us, AJ. Thank it was you for having so, me. Such, so great to have you here. And if you've been joining us and watching us, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, low pressure, but challenge you nonetheless. <laughs> uh, I'd love it if you just took a moment to, to share this podcast or, or to like it. So depending on how you're watching, if you're on social media, why don't you hit the share button and let some other people see the message that we got to explore today. And if you're listening on iTunes, why don't you hit the iTunes store and, and give it a bit of a rating. Anyways, thanks so much for joining us and we'll be back with you next week. God bless. <laughs>